played a gig last year somewhere in England, and I'm not going to say where because I don't want to get myself in trouble. But it was a bit of a seedy dive. There were a lot of colorful characters scattered around the room. It was really rough around the edges. But I enjoyed it, and I thought it went really well. There was a good crowd, and afterwards I was standing around talking to people, and there was a woman that walked up to me. She seemed really dead in the face and expressionless, and she had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth that wasn't lit. She said she was surprised to see me play in a place like this. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, this isn't the sort of gig that a musician wants to find themselves in. And I said, hey, it's a gig. I enjoyed it. And she says, yeah, but this gig's a lot like sleeping with an old man. It's not the sort of thing you want to brag about, but at least you know you're appreciated. friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my home in East Nashville, Tennessee, and if you hear something in the background, it's probably because there's two cats sitting next to me, so hopefully they won't make too much noise. I should say right now that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I thought I would do it anyway. It sounded like fun. It's a way for me to share something directly with you guys. It's a audio experiment, a personal journal. Just uh, something that I can give you guys you don't have to pay for at all. It's my belief that there's only two people in art that truly matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. And this show is founded with that in mind. It's a way for me to speak directly to you guys with no filters whatsoever. This is also a chance for me to sit down with friends and talk to them and record the conversations, and maybe you guys can learn a little bit about them in the process. My guest this week is Mr. Ray Wiley Hubbard. Lots of people refer to Ray as an elder statesman of the Texas music scene. I think he's one of the people that put the Texas music scene on the map, and he's known all over the world. He tours all over the world, has lots of fans. He's a great storyteller, great songwriter, wonderful guitar player. I caught up with Ray just a couple weeks ago up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bowling Green is the white squirrel capital of the world. I have no idea how they got squirrels to be white there. It doesn't seem right to me. Since Tommy Womack is from there, I kind of blame him. But anyway, if you want to find out more about Ray Wiley, just go to raywiley.com, and you can uh, check out his new record, Grifter's Hymnal. It's a really, really good one. We've been listening to it an awful lot around the house. Here's Mr. Ray Wiley Hubbard. Did you ever cross paths with the Von Erichs? They were uh, good buddies of mine, yeah. And, really? Uh, oh, yeah, the Von Erichs. And used to party with those guys in Dallas. And then uh, also uh, uh, Michael Hayes and Freebirds, man. Those guys, you know, Chris, <laughs> you know, uh, gentleman Chris Adams. Yeah. All those guys back there. Yeah, we used to, I'd drive with them, you know, to uh, to the gigs, you know. We just could, they'd go out into these places and everything. But actually, you know, Michael Hayes actually had a, uh, had a, a band called Backstreet, I believe, and he recorded some songs, and I opened for Michael Hayes at the Sportatorium. 
the, really? Oh yeah, man. Was in so, Dallas? In Dallas, yeah. I was just really I was with the hey, so hey, Michael called me up and said, Hey man, you know, I said, Well shoot, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this record and then we're gonna have a big thing at the sportatorium, won't you come down and open for me? So I said, Sure, man. You know, I mean I so we uh so they had this like a whole month thing about um uh, uh you know, wrestling and everything, but the week before uh Michael Hayes offered, you know, to to Quit being a heel, and he offered his hand to the Von Ericks and invited them to the concert. And he said, "Would be my guest." You know, wrestling's over here, but this is music, and I know you love music. And so, anyhow, he had the Von Ericks. They shook hands and everything. So we get down there to the gig, and uh, we they have their stuff set up. We have our stuff set up. So we're getting ready. So we're all hanging around back at the back. And all of a sudden, Michael comes to me before I go, and he says, "As soon as you finish your set, get your equipment off the stage. Don't leave it up there." <laughs> And so, <laughs> anyhow, we get up there and we play. Place is packed. All of a sudden, Michael Hayes and his band plays. And all of a sudden, he said, oh, my good friends, the Von Ericks are here. Would y'all please come up on stage? I want to introduce you. So the Von Ericks come up on stage and they're shaking hands. And about that time, uh, Bam Bam comes up and has this guitar and just hits the front in the back of the head. And this brawl <laughs> breaks out on stage with them. And, you know, they just beat the soup out of each other. And, the place went crazy. That's beautiful. It was a world class championship. World wrestling. class, yeah, yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, it it was really big in Texas. The Von Ericks. Oh, they were they they walked on water. They were just they were phenomenal. I mean, they, they sold out Texas Stadium at one time, and there's the legend yeah. is that they outdrew the Cowboys. They, I, I'm, I believe they they had something. You know, of course, they're they're uh, you know Michael Hayes and the Freebirds. They were their uh, arch enemies. You know, oh, yeah. And, uh, boy, they were, but it was fun, you know, it was fun to go hang out. In fact, my first date with Judy, I didn't have any money. And, and so I'd met Judy and I said, so how about let's go out Friday night? Didn't have any money at all. So she said, okay. And I said, and so my truck broke down. So I borrowed my, uh, ex-wife's mother's truck, you know? And so I picked <laughs> her up in this old orange pickup truck. And so she's, and I said, uh, so he said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let's, let's go to wrestling because I could get in free. So we pulled up in wrestling, and we naturally go through the dressing room with all these <laughs> wrestlers back in there. I walk in, there's Michael and, and Bam Bam, Chris, uh, gentleman Chris Adams. God, what a great – there's great guys, and the Von Erics and everything. I walk in, hey, it's Judy here, and we're just walking in these guys. And we walk out there and watch uh, go to wrestling. So, you know, and, uh, and then after we've, you know – leave there i said well, are you hungry she goes sure i said well so rusty weir and gary dunn were playing over at the longhorn ballroom so we went over there and i went backstage and rusty's deli tray was there i said you said here help yourself <laughs> <laughs> and uh let's see you know if anything you want go ahead and eat here so we ate off uh rusty's deli tray back there and uh, i think i went out and sang with him and then i took her home and uh and actually, we actually had a second date. I figured it'd be over after that. But, uh, I figured if she, if she could put up with that for our first date. Uh. <laughs> actually, speaking of this, Judy, too. Uh, Judy was the door girl at Mother Blues. Judy ran away from home like when she was 16 and kind of and started hanging out at Mother Blues. And she was 16. And the door girl, and she would uh, check IDs. And I, and I always came in the back by the blues, and I'd see Lightning play there. In fact, uh, Judy would was the one, you know, who would uh, bring Lightning his drinks, you know, up on stage and everything. But Lightning was just uh, – it, it was a great club. I mean, I feel like I'm an old cat, 
but I feel very fortunate to have been able to have seen Lightning Hopkins and Mance Lipscomb and Freddie King as well as Gary Stewart and Ernest Tubb. You know, I saw yeah. those guys play, and they were just something you know, about them. They were just all phenomenal musicians and uh, powerful, powerful performers. But, yeah, we see uh, Lightning play there, and yeah, it was just, uh, you know, that, that story of Lightning – you know, do 12 bar blues, 12 and a half bar blues, 13 bar blues, you know, flying <laughs> and change chords when he wants to change, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a very, it was very, Dallas at that time was very, uh, uh, cool. There was mother blues and there was a, uh, uh, a folk club there where I started off called the Rubiot. It the Rubiot? Yeah, the Rubiot. Okay. It was a little folk club and, uh, back in high school and I, um, uh, Michael Murphy, um, Michael Murphy was a senior and I was a junior and B.W. Stevenson was a sophomore and we all got involved in the folk folk music at that time. You know, the you understand, you know, from, uh, you know, Peter, Paul and Mary, then you through that, you find Dylan and then you find through Dylan, you find, you know, Jimmy Rogers and Cecil Houston and the whole, the doors just open after that, you know. And so there was just a, a great club there called the Rubiot and, just, uh, you know, that's where I got into it and started playing, uh, you know, folk music. And uh, But there was it was a great, great scene. There were some great, I saw some incredible musicians there growing up. So people would, tour, people would tour through Dallas on a regular Yeah, I mean, basis. it was pretty cool because you'd go in there, like I said, there used to be an old club there called 57 Doors. And uh, it was run by a guy. Uh, when Willie Nelson came back, moved to Austin, and he... Uh, uh, used to be a guy named Gino McCaughton used to book this club there called the Western Place, which is just died straight ahead Loretta Lynn, Tammy Wynette, you know, straight ahead country. And Willie came back, had long hair and a beard, and uh, because Gino had booked him there, then so Gino uh, got fired because he booked Willie Nelson there with long hair. So then Gino opened up a club called Fifty Seven Doors. So Willie went over and started playing in front of the kind of the rock club, and it was a uh, you know, it had everybody, all, you know, Commander Cody to, um, you know, actually uh, Mimi Farina played there. I saw her play there one night. And uh, um, uh, who else? Bill Monroe played there. It was just, it was just a, you know, it was a great, great uh, club. And then the old Mother Blues was such a good club because it was like, you know, Jimmy Buffett had played there and just, you know, and it was just a small room. It was that people were, and then after the, the were closed, everybody would come over and, hang out and play poker upstairs and jam, you know, just, just, uh, after hour stuff. Is this the same scene that kind of bled over into the armadillo? Well, I, 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 I think it's probably so. I think the armadillo, you know, there was, there was before the armadillo there were in, in Austin, there was like, you know, thread gills. And there was a place there called Saxon pub, which was out on 38th at the time. And then another club there called the checkered flag, which was kind of the, Folk music place, uh, but it, they'd bring in Tony Joe White and Lightning would play there, and Alan Damron and God, all these Bill Moss and all these great cats. And then there was kind of the other little clubs like the One Nighter, which I think where town started playing. But then there were some kind of rock clubs that started picking up there, uh, and, uh, and then then the Armadillo opened, and so it was just a really, uh, you know, like I said, it was just a, it was a very vibrant music scene. Yeah, it you know it used to. I mean, you, you know, it would just uh, well. It's like when you you tour Europe. Whenever you get a new fax, you throw away the old fax. 
they keep moving clubs, you know, like this, that gigs, they move that, the, the, the gigs no longer there. It's at this other place. And, yeah. if you, and so, uh, uh, it was, you know, you, I mean, it was like, God, it was, it was like pay phones, you know, pulling up, finding a pay phone and calling the club. And if nobody's there trying to make sure you knew where it was. And it was just, uh, it, it was, uh, very different. It was just, I'm, I'm amazed we even, you know, but it was a lot of us our own fault. I remember one time we, uh, played a gig in Austin and left that night and to play in Colorado. And, uh, you know, back in those old days, you'd, you know, take a little white cross and drink beer and you'd get there, you know, you just drive all <laughs> night and you'd get there. Except, uh, you know, we, we pull up to winter park. We pull up to, uh, I can't remember the name of the club now. Pull up to Winter Park, walk in. They go, "What are you guys doing here? You're here tomorrow night." And I go, "Really? Oh yeah, you're you're Breckenridge tonight." Oh, you know, just <laughs> you know, you get in that. So you drive and you don't call. You just hope somebody just somewhere along the way you get you got that. Well, where are we go? In Winter Park, okay. Who knows? How long would they have you play at those? Be the all night gigs? Oh yeah, or? man. At least three, sometimes four forty five minute sets. You know? Oh God. You know, it was just yeah. Some of them were. You know, usually, yeah, it was sometimes, it seemed like, no, I think it would like, probably had two bands, so you'd probably do two-hour sets, switch sets, and sometimes you'd do 345s. I don't know if I ever did 445s, I can't remember if I did. If I did, the last one, 45 minutes was, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't very good. <laughs> long period of time in order to make a record somebody had to say yes you know a label had to come and say yes you can make a record here's the money you do this you'd make a record it was you know to make a vinyl copy yourself was just really hard you know you had to find you know record it and then find a place to master it and do i mean it was just really hard I'd, we've done that in the past i've done my own vinyls and stuff but it's really hard and uh and now you know it is it's uh the whole social media and and uh, the the Twitter thing and Facebook and all that stuff's really is important. Uh, you know, like I say, as an old cat, it's it's uh, you know, and as you, I, you know, I've, I've never had a hit record, never had a country hit, I never was a country singer, even though I wrote Redneck Mother, but I was I was always a folk rock singer, kind of, you know, just uh, uh so I never was a had a country hit, you know, never was able you know, to get on the radio with anything. I wrote Redneck Mother with Jerry Jeff Walker. You know, if you hadn't heard of Jerry Jeff, you didn't know, didn't heard of me, <laughs> which kind of limits it, <laughs> you know, because he, he had, but, uh, so, you know, it, it was very, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a struggle and it's still a struggle right now, but I think because of all this, uh, it, it's really beneficial. The other thing is too, because of it, it it's, uh, I, th I think it's good because the whole, I don't know, I guess the, the, the American Idol, the, the contest, I think it was Tom Petty said something, we shouldn't have rock stars decided by a game show. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, that's kind of weird to me. Yeah. It was, I just, I don't, and, uh, and so, uh, it's, it's, it's it's kind of strange right now, but it's very good because I think there's this thirst for this music that's not like corporate 
manufactured, you know, homogenized, pasteurized hablum songs that's out there. People, uh, not just uh, kind of the old rock fans, you know, or the, or the old blues fans, or, or, or that there's these young kids are, are seeking that out, you know, trying to find stuff. And, and I think it's a, the, the, it's a good way to do it. It's it's been really good for me. Yeah, it's been it's been really good for me also. That's why I was curious what your thoughts were. Where there was a, probably a credibility to being one of the few people who actually had a record back when. Yeah. But it also made it to where a lot of people who were good enough didn't have a chance to to try it. Yeah, I mean there were so many. You know, like I say, there were so many. Like, you know, just an example, there was a, there was a cat named Johnny Vandiver. He was uh, just phenomenal, just a incredible solo performer. And then he was in a band called the Ewing Street Tries with Shake Russell and they were, and he was just incredible, but he never, uh, recorded, never put out a vinyl, you know, now though, because of, uh, of, of, of the technology, you know, I've, I've got you know, CDs of, of some of his live shows. Oh, wow. And then the thing, you know, and, and, uh, and the same thing with YouTube, man, you can find, you know, uh, bottleneck Bob, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that you I, I hadn't, wasn't aware of him because of a cat in England, Yeah, you know, and all of a sudden I seen him go, Oh, okay. And so, so it's a, it's uh, I'm a great believer in it, you know, but then again, too, saying all that, I still, play old funky guitars with D Armand pickups and old tube amps, you know, and I record like we did the Grifter Seminole. We just plug guitar directly into the amp, you know, no effects, no pedals, no, Oh yeah. None of that stuff. You know, I, I love that. Oh, you know, yeah. I guess like I say, it's kind of a both worlds thing, you know, I'm a bit of a gear snob where I, yeah. I, I judge people. And I don't I do want too. to, but in my brain, I do. When I show up and the guy pulls out a tailor with a cutaway, <sighs> yeah, yeah, Ooh. I immediately go to a bad place. And I, I do don't, too. but then um, there was a girl that opened for me somewhere in England a couple months ago, and um, and she pulled out a she pulled out a harmony and it had a Yarman pickup in yeah. it, and I just didn't know what to think. I'm gonna like this person. That's exactly you what know? I thought. Yeah, I, uh, I'm the exact same way. It's just that. Uh, Exact same way. I just I, I judge people just by kind of the, the equipment because it shows that somebody who'll do some research to find an old funky guitar or an, the right amp that just doesn't go into like a guitar center and just give me pick and yeah. play this thing. You know, man. I'm a yeah. I'm a completely agreement there with you that. It used to tear me up to see Springsteen play a Takamini. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> did it you? <laughs> You know, yeah. now finally, like Rolling Stone, he had an old Gibson J45. I don't know who, you know, wised him up, but I'm going, you know, really, come on, you know, just and and nothing against Takaminis. I've, I've, I think I, I would, but yeah, they're, they're, you know, well, I guess something there is something against Takamini. I don't like them, you know. Of course, I don't like new, I don't like new Martins either, you know. Yeah, it's just I, I am a snob as when it comes to gear, you know. There had to have been a point when little Steven pulled him aside and said, come on now, you're the boss. Yeah, man, play Christian Gibson, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
buddy of mine calls me up and he says, uh, he said, do you play uh, biker swap meets? And I go, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, like a, a bikers, you know, that will have, have a, a swap meet, you know, where they do uh, motorcycles and leathers and, you know, have, you know, kind of a party, you know, play that. And I said, yeah, I don't know. Depends on what he played. And he says, well, this is a long while back. And so I, and he said, I said, I don't know, it's like $1,500. And I said, yeah, I'll play them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, I got this band. So we, this is up north of Gainesville. And we show up to this biker swap meet rally, right? So we go up there and we're, uh, pull up there. And all of a sudden my bass player pulls out and he has a little video camera. And all of a sudden this guy comes up and goes, no, no videos. Don't take any videos. <laughs> Come to find out. This biker rally was a meeting of the Scorpions, the Banditos, and the Hells Angels. Ooh. The Hells Angels wanted to start a chapter in Texas. And so they came to have this, this summit. And so there's the Hells Angels, the Scorpions, and the Banditos are at this swap meet. And they're dealing, we're up there just playing. And then, and then, so, you know, it's not much of a swap meet. So we're up there playing. And all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, these kind of the, the lawyers and the dentists on our show. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of a sudden, finally, this buddy of mine came up who booked the gig and told me what was going on. And so there was all these camps, you know, and everything. So anyhow, somewhere up there, we're playing uh, the second set. And about that time, Boom, boom, and about 40 bikers go tearing off, just screaming through the deal. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes, another 40 go off. Negotiations broke down. <laughs> <laughs> and so all, you know, all these clubs left, you know, and so we're up there playing <laughs> for about four or five dentists who have hearts. <laughs> and we, uh, Finally, the get, uh, Randall came back and gave me the money. You got paid. Yeah, yeah we got paid. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't know if that was the worst gig. It was just uh, an unusual gig. You Remember know? what year that was? Oh, gosh, no. Probably 80, 90, 87. No, probably somewhere around 90. You know, All right. I can't remember, really. They all kind of flow together after a while. I think there was one where when Reba McIntyre was like 14, I came down to Billy Bob's and uh, she wanted to set in with us and had all these charts to do like a 30 minute deal. And I said, well, uh, then you need to, you know, pay my band. I just can't like use my band to learn these songs. And so there was, uh, uh, whoever was drugging her didn't want to pay. And I said, well, when we were not going to back her up. So if you read <laughs> Reba's book, I mentioned in Reba's book is like we drove into Texas and Ray Wiley Hubbard wouldn't back us up. But the reason was because they didn't want to pay my guys yeah. to do a, to learn all of her songs and do that. So it says a lot for her that she doesn't realize that maybe a bunch of guys in a band at Billy Bob's don't want to learn a fourteen year old yeah. song. So anyhow, that was yeah. So that wasn't so I wasn't, you know that wasn't the worst gig because the gig didn't happen. <laughs> I was born in Hugo, Oklahoma, and I grew up in Soper, Oklahoma, which is uh, 11 miles from Hugo. It's like population at the time, 352. My dad was uh, principal of the school there, which was uh, the school was the first to the 12th grade, right? You know, there was like 
I went to uh, through the third grade there, and it was like, you know, I don't know, eight kids in the first grade, ten in the second, you know, maybe 20 seniors. And so he was like coach of the basketball team and principal and the whole deal. up there. It was, it was like I say, it was a very rural yeah. kid school. So, yeah, we grew up there. Kind of strange. Uh, Hugo, Oklahoma in the 50s and 60s used to be known as Circus Town, USA. It's where a lot of these circuses would make their winter homes, you know. And, uh, and my grandfather, uh, Hubbard, who had a, a farm out there, he would uh, lease his land to uh, uh, to, to the, the circuses. God, I went blank on the name of the circus. I, I can't think. Ringling Brothers? Or what? Ringling Brothers? No, no, they, they weren't that. It wasn't big time okay. circus. It was more kind of convict circuses. You <laughs> 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 uh, get out of jail, out of start a circus. Uh, God, I can't think of the name of the circus right now. I can't remember. Which is really, but so anyhow, as a kid, we'd go out there and he would lease his land during the winter, so you'd he'd have uh, camels, you know, and uh, uh, I think like a giraffe, you know, out on his farm. They would, you know, they would let them uh, graze out there. The 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 thing about it, my parents are buried up there at the Hugo Cemetery. Now, you're a little town like Hugo, the cemetery would be kind of overrun and, and, and everything, but it's not. It's immaculate. I would match it with the Hollywood cemeteries, wherever they are, because it's the circus, uh, all, the, all the circus performers are buried out there. So when I was a kid, whenever a circus performer would die, they would have the, the, the wagon with the horses with the feathers on it, and all the circus performers would go out to the circ to the cemetery as a circus procession. Oh, wow. And uh, so as a kid, I remember that. And so out there, like my parents are buried out there, but they have a, you, you, you walk along and all of a sudden you'll see like a angel tombstone over here. And then all of a sudden you walk a little bit further and all of a sudden you'll see like a ringmaster with a top hat, you know, and then you walk over here and you'll, and they, and they have the, the animal uh, uh, cemetery, you know, like jingles the elephant or, or, you know, and then you go over here and there's like, the flying Santinis. I mean, it's really, and it's incredible. It's a beautiful, beautiful cemetery. I mean, it's, it's really uh, uh, kept up, you know, I mean, like uh, with, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, landscaping. Yeah, landscaping and all that. So, oh. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild time growing up. Did up you there. learn anything from the uh, circus performers? Oh, well, let's see. A little showbiz? Not, not really. I, well, I, you know, you know that uh, uh, that the, the prizes that they give away when you win a watch, it's probably going to quit running in about two or three days. <laughs> it looked good, but it, it <laughs> the watches, the prizes, they just uh, they, they go last. Started out this morning in Austin, and yeah, man, we. Uh, Let's see. We we got up pretty early. We had to get up like at five to get to the airport. We got there at seven. All of a sudden, first thing we ran into, ran into the Black Angels, you know, and saw those guys, and that was really cool. Then we ran into uh, James McMurtry. He was flying to Portland. <laughs> this is in the airport. Yeah, he's in the airport waiting on his plane, and uh, obviously, uh, and then I ran into, and then we were on the flight with uh, 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 Bruce Robinson and Kelly Willis. Wow. You know, so Friday in Austin, you know, and then I got a crank phone call from Jack Ingram, you know, and so uh, it's, it's it's quite a 
What a festive morning, you know. It's it was just, still too early. <laughs> and we're in Bowling Green, Kentucky now. Bowling Green, Kentucky, man. This place called the Warehouse up here. What a just just a great gig, man. Yeah. Just wonderful, wonderful gig. It's my second time here, and uh, they just uh, they they feed us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we play, you know. The and, damnedest uh, thing. So yeah, it's it's a good gig. I enjoy it. Did you fly into Nashville? Yeah, we flew into Nashville. And then drove up. Just giving people an idea of what a, a typical gig day is like. Yeah, like so well, we got up uh got up early, got the airport, flew to uh, Nashville, you know, rented a car, drove up here, then tomorrow we're uh in the uh Marysville at the shed, big old Harley Davidson place up there. We played up there about five or six times and uh uh Tonight we're just doing it with uh, Kyle Snyder from Dead Man's playing percussion with me. We're just doing a duo. Then tomorrow, uh, Lucas uh, and uh, John Michael will fly in. We'll do a full band okay. there and you know, kind of rock out a little bit more. Ray, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh man, I've enjoyed it, Otis. What a, I really you know, wish you luck on this, man. Uh, it was fun. It went by quick. Well, I get to learn a little something about Michael Hayes and uh, Von Erichs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, gentlemen, Chris. Uh, oh, yeah. What? They, they, it was a fun time back then. Thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Mr. Ray Wiley Hubbard for taking the time to chat with me in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And if you want to find out more about Ray, you can go to raywiley.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com. You can pick up a CD, pick up a T-shirt, get a download, whatever you need. Everything you buy there comes directly from our house to yours. We'll pack it up in our living room. You'll open it up in yours. We'll even put in a little thank you note in there for you. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a little comment on there. Talk about how handsome I am. Talk about how I need to shave my beard off. Whatever. Just keep it friendly, please. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, Please take the time to tell somebody about it and help us spread the word. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.